Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And on today's episode, I'm joined by a co-host, uh, a co-worker, Brian Eggert uh, from Mission Canada. And we're going to have a, a conversation with Graham Seng. And if you don't know Graham, uh, you're in for a really worthwhile introduction. Uh, I uh, uh, have met him on a, another occasion at uh, Church Planning Canada conference in Montreal and uh, had an opportunity to, to visit uh, the sacred space that uh, he gives lead to, St. Jack's. And, uh, you know, I knew about a bunch of different saints. I didn't know there was one named Jack. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that maybe. Um, but uh, let me just talk a little bit about who Graham is, uh, at least vocationally. He's founder and executive director of the Trinity Center's Foundation, a new Canadian charity established to transform 100 historic city center church buildings into community hubs. TCF's team of 50 plus advisors from the social innovation, property, finance, urbanism, and faith sectors are currently developing what may become one of Canada's most significant social purpose real estate investment offerings. Over the past 12 years, Graham has led four historic building and community renewal projects in the United Kingdom and Canada, including in his current role as rector of the Anglican Diocese of Montreal, uh, recent church plant, St. Jack's, Montreal. Uh, Graham also acts as a consultant in the area of social impact investing in the private wealth management sector. Graduate of the London School of Economics, Cambridge University, Ridley Hall, St. Miletus College, the University of Western Ontario, and Asbury Theological Seminary, and currently enrolled in the Oxford University Said Business School Impact Innovations Program. And uh, you've uh, been in school, I think, longer than I've lived. <laughs> what an intro, Kevin. I'm just, it's, uh, <laughs> just listening to all that thing. Did all that really happen? <laughs> I think all, we're all still in school, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, such a privilege to be with you guys today. Thank you. And I know that uh, you and, and Brian are much more acquainted with each other, uh, having worked together on Church Planning Canada. And uh, Brian is the director of Mission Canada, and uh, we can see his poster on the wall behind him. And uh, welcome, Brian. Good to have you back on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. It's great to have my friend Graham with us today. And Graham, uh, you know, for the people who don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little run back of, you know, kind of your journey, a couple of minutes of how you came to faith and just a little bit about how you ended up in the middle of Montreal, the wonderful city of Montreal here. So give us a quick uh, yeah. little journey. Yeah, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks, Kevin, for that introduction. And, uh, you know, very often on these kind of conversations, we talk about being there with our friends. But it, Brian and I really have become uh, very, um, we, you know, we have a, a long and, and, and deep friendship through seeing God do many, many wonderful things in Canada. And uh, the work that I count as most cherished with Brian is, is seeing denominations that are planting churches in Canada coming together around a common table and 
dealing with their differences. And Brian and I have, you know, very often had those conversations, say, how can we get so-and-so together with so-and-so? And and then we kind of somehow, the Holy Spirit worked it out. So this really is a context of deep friendship and also thankfulness to Mission Canada, to PAOC for actually having given space for that. And I really honor uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies uh, for the space that they've given. And many people don't know the extent to which uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies actually hosts Church Planting Canada as an organization. Uh, I'm very thankful for that too. So I actually grew up in Guelph, Ontario, and I uh, was just with some folks last night. If that gives you a snapshot into my life now, uh, uh, all the United Churches in Guelph together meeting with a an amazing Indigenous leader who's created a healing center out of an old Lutheran church. And we had 20 people on the Zoom call talking about how to put all of those United Church buildings to the disposition of First Nations healing and reconciliation. That's the kind of stuff I do on a weeknight uh, these days. And it was great to be back in my hometown, even virtually for that kind of thing. But back growing up for me in Guelph uh, was a beautiful, a lot of privilege and uh, amazing family. My parents have been married over 40 years now. My dad's about to turn 80 years old. He's been a neurologist for 50 years. My mom has been a nurse. Uh, she's a bit younger, but... Um, just great family. But, but church for me was quite a traditional thing. And uh, growing up in the Presbyterian church and the, and the Anglican, uh, an Anglican school, uh, my faith, like many young people, was something that was there in the background, but I hadn't really claimed that for my own. I went to university at, uh, at Western in London, Ontario. And then, uh, as you said, Kevin, over to the UK, to the London School of Economics, where I studied decolonization. Uh, I was looking at my father's uh, country, of what was then called British Guyana. Uh, many people in Canada, I think you know from the Caribbean and a lot of people from Guyana itself and you know those migration patterns, I, as it happened, I, I wanted to study what had happened with a, um, it was actually a joint CIA and British intelligence service coup <laughs> that happened in my dad's country. And I, that was a stu- subject to my master's thesis. And uh, it, it was an amazing time. But it was during that time that I began really soul searching. And the Lord began calling out to me. And I found this thing called the Alpha Course. Uh, Now it's it's called Alpha. It's a bit cooler. But then it was called the Alpha Course. And I thought, this is crazy. I don't need to go to this kind of thing because I'm already Christian. I'm I'm, I'm plenty Christian. You know, I got the stamp, uh, you know, been to Sunday school. But I just felt the Lord really pulling on my heart saying, this is time to go deeper. And what year uh, was that about? That was around 2001. Okay. Yeah, uh, it was just after 9-11 that things started really heating up for me in my heart. And uh, But Brian, I'll tell you this, and Kevin, it, 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 I started attending this church called Holy Trinity Brompton, which is actually, I later then learned that's where Alpha had come from. But the only reason I started going there is there were really beautiful girls who went to that church. Like this was a known <laughs> thing when I was living in London. I thought, I've got to check this place out. I then had started working in an advertising agency just near there, a big global advertising agency. That was very fun. And anyways, it was at that church where I met my wife, Celine, and we were both on a similar journey. She's from France, had come from a similar uh, Catholic traditional church background. And both of us, our hearts and our faith in Christ lit up during that time. It was the most amazing environment of discipleship. We both gave our lives to Christ fresh, although we'd grown up in the church. And we both became caught up in this new movement of church planting. And what that looked like, uh, you know, here in in Canada, church planting often looks like, you know, you get some friends together, meet in your front room. When that, you know, you outgrow that, you go to a cinema. 
or a school, and then uh, and then you you know you kind of call for help by that point. And say, hey, I think we accidentally planted a church in the UK in the Church of England that we were part of there, which is the home denomination the Anglican Church. We had all these buildings, thousands of buildings that were closed. So our our church planting model was: let's get a guy like you really basically needed a guy with a guitar. Okay, if you didn't have a guy with a guitar, it was going to be very difficult to plant a church. The organist was not going to help you out very much. And you definitely needed a pack of Alpha Course DVDs that would get you going. And then you needed a few dozen people and an old building. And that was our church planning model. And it's frankly still the church planning model I live off of today. But uh, that, so that really was foundational for, for me as a Christian leader. I, I then was recruited to join a new ordination uh, track. And I know within Mission Canada, within, uh, let's call it the broader church families in Canada, a lot of changes in ordination training. In our case, in the Anglican Church in the UK, uh, these were all the traditional colleges. Uh, so Cambridge, Oxford, um, very traditional Anglican theological training. And the Bishop of London, uh, who you may remember from Will and Kate, the royal wedding uh, between William and Kate, he was the, he was the preacher. We figure he preached the gospel to more people at any one point in time than kind of anybody. He, he was our bishop, and uh, he's an amazing man. He's retired now. But uh, he said, I need an entirely new training system. And that training system that was the Bishop of London's vision is now training, get this, guys, over 250 full-time Anglican church planting priests per year. Okay? So that is a machine coming out. And here's this. Okay, Kevin you and Brian, we were joking about this a little earlier. I had some of our some of our very most conservative brethren uh, once asked me. They said, "What really happened here in Canada?" They said, "What really happened at Holy Trinity Brompton?" And I said, "Guys, are you sure you want to know? You, you guys are like card carrying, very conservative evangelicals, right?" They said, "Yeah, absolutely. We we, we issue the cards." <laughs> I said, "It was it was when John Wimber came to the church. That was the game changing moment." And you say that in Canada, and people say, oh, that's wonderful. Also not sure what we think about John Wimber. Toronto Airport Fellowship, things got a bit rowdy there. And you get a mixed response. But guess what happened when that movement of God now mixed in with the Anglican Church? And you look at John Wimber, you think, well, if you mellowed him out just a little bit without taking out the fire, you get something pretty amazing. And that's what happened at Holy Trinity Brompton. It's out of that that Alpha was birthed. Soul Survivor, where we get Matt Redmond, Tim Hughes, those kind of guys. A lot of things were birthed in the Lord during that time, including the church planning movement that uh, that we became part of. So I was trained in that. I was then ordained at St. Paul's Cathedral. We still did it the old-fashioned Anglican way. That's pretty awesome. And we started planting churches, getting those old buildings, getting them going. And, uh, and eventually, this is a bit of a long story. I'm trying to do it fairly quickly here, is... Um, we really felt the Lord saying, you got to come back to Canada. And so I called a few people and it wasn't long before I met Brian, actually. It was pretty soon, soon into coming back, got back to Canada and I began immediately attending. Uh, but why did we come back? We came back because a friend of ours with a big old, a big church, big uh, independent evangelical church in Guelph called Lakeside Church. They, they felt, they saw this old United Church in downtown Guelph. They just saw it sitting empty and their hearts broke. They began praying around the church. And on one weekend, they passed a congregational vote and fundraiser to buy this old United Church building. It was a million bucks. And so they said, we're not just going to have a vote and then raise the money. We're going to 
the raising the money will be the vote. <laughs> Anyways, they raised a million bucks. <clears throat> they bought this United Church, and my friend Dave, he called me and said, I don't, I don't know how this happened, but we accidentally bought an old church. We don't really know what to do with it. Can you come back from the UK and uh, kind of help us out with it? And uh, it was the Lord's testimony to that request that allowed the bishops to allow us to come back. So anyways, we were here, and I then went to this. And this is going to bring us full circle back to Brian. Is I then attended the first Church Planning Canada conference, uh, which at that year was at the Meeting House and, in Toronto and at their main site. And I went to the board of Church Planning Canada and said, hey, all you guys planting churches and cinemas and schools, why aren't you talking to the United Church? You know, do you think they're all so liberal that it's not even worth talking to them? You know, and if they are so off beam and they're, they're dangerous, then why don't you talk to them and help them see your perspective? And by the way, those buildings, <laughs> don't you want to plant into those church buildings? And anyways, over a few months, the Board of Church Planning Canada ended up asking me to, to, uh, to become the executive director of Church Planning Canada. And yeah, that's I how I met that, Brian. I remember that conversation, Graham. And, and it was a dangerous it was, moment. It was, it was kind of a little bit like, who let this guy in the room, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from England? From Guelph? Who yeah. is this guy? Yeah. So, anyways, so that, that gets us to now, doesn't it, Brian? Yeah. yeah. So now you're in Montreal, and obviously a transition from that Lakeside Church in Guelph to now yeah. what you're doing at St. Jack's in Montreal. So tell us a little bit about St. Jack's. Yeah. So, so I mean, you can you can appreciate coming over from the UK, seeing that move of, and I'm 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 telling you in a, a little bit of humor with the the story of John Wimber, but that began really a 30 year period of renewal within the Church of England. I mean, that's the kind of distance we're talking about here. And it's out of that that the church planting movement there has been born. So when I came back to Canada, I was looking, so where's the, where's the spirit moving here? And it was clear that the spirit was and continues to move throughout the church planting networks in Canada. But if we were going to see something happen with these buildings, it, ha it had to be an inside job. And so I, I also used that time to network with my bishops in the Anglican church and say, where, where is there sufficient desperation to really do this kind of church planning model. And I thought, well, the most desperate place in Canada has got to be Montreal. Uh, it's the most de-churched environment in, in Canada. And sure enough, the Anglican bishop there was very keen to give me one of their big old buildings. Uh, Kevin, it was called, it's still called St. James the Apostle, but the problem is there's another St. James's church about 800 meters down St. Catherine Street. It's St. James United. So, you know, people used to know the difference between St. James United and St. James Anglican. The, there's no way they know the difference. They, they can't handle the difference now these days. So we wanted a name that was a bit less churchy and uh, 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 a bit less old-fashioned Anglican and a bit kind of classic Montreal bilingual. And so what they do in Montreal, often shorten an English or a French word, add on some other little word to make it a kind of not quite English, not quite French. So that's how Jacques or James became Jacks with a J-A-X. And uh, so the bishop gave us her permission to plant and some funds, and we got our alpha going, and we had some guys with guitars leading worship and some gals, and the Lord blessed that church plant. And so that's how we, we moved to Montreal. And, uh, and my wife is, as I mentioned earlier, she's, she's French. Moi, je suis aussi bilingue. Je suis francophone aussi. And uh, being a brown guy who speaks, uh, you know, French in Quebec is like it gets you a lot of bonus points in Quebec. Uh, it helps you not get cut out of a few conversations, and we have loved it. Montreal is home for us now. We set down roots. Our kids are all first ones in high school now, 
And uh, so we're here planting. And then maybe that's the last thing that gets us to today is, is in coming to Montreal, that was our fourth church plant uh, as a family. And it was during that time and after, uh, well, during the, the really beautiful season of leadership with, uh, with alongside Brian uh, at Church Plant Canada, I realized we've got to set up some other instrument that, that we can't do. If we're going to figure out what we do with all these city center church buildings, because maybe we should just sell them all, take the money and do something else for the kingdom, right? That's one option. The other option is to say, well, we probably could use a few central mission stations. Some of those buildings are pretty well located. Um, well, if we're going to do this transition, what happens if you need an Assemblies of God church planter in a Catholic church building uh, alongside a secular refugee charity? Like, what if that's the combo that you need to make happen? Who's going to do that? We realize no one denomination can do that. There is no existing charity to do it. Um, and we're going to have to start something new. So yeah. we began setting up a new, uh, a new, a new move. So before we get into the Trinity's Foundation, yeah. which is a big part of who you are now, why don't we talk a little bit about what St. Jack's is doing actually in mm. the community, um, in that St. Catherine's Corridor, the Concordia yeah. University Corridor that you're in. Uh, you've, you've created some incredible partnerships. You've got um, some very unique connections happening. So let's just talk a little bit about where that, 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 that sort of you, you rescued this... Um, fledgling um, um, conversation with your bishop around, let, let me add this St. Jack's building, but what's happened as a result of, of, of your work there? Yeah, thanks, Brian. So, uh, you know, I think we always want to tell the, 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 the happy, hopeful story, the glass half full. Uh, the glass was pretty darn half empty in that place before we got there. There was a major outdoor uh, homeless shelter gone wrong in the front garden so it was a it was a latrine in the front garden it's one of the most beautiful spots along st catherine street right in the heartland just just near crescent street for those of you who know downtown montreal if you've ever been downtown montreal you've probably seen crescent street we are one street over from that on st catherine so we could not be more downtown montreal in a building that's nearly 200 years old and my predecessor not the not the one i took over from but before her had been killed by his own prostitute okay so this is a person who had gotten himself into a lot of trouble addiction uh the church was out of money church was a very difficult environment and he himself got himself in a lot of personal trouble so when you talk about anglican catholic united presbyterian like there there are some big problems and i don't want to exempt any other denomination here but th these are serious issues and I, I again with a little bit of heavy heart i'll say to you I, of the four church plants that i've led all of them have had some kind of crisis preceding that's that's been the nature of my <laughs> my church planting ministry and i think dealing with these buildings you, you come across these difficult things so you know we knew it was a tough situation going into that there were also a lot of problems with the building so we thought, okay, Easter, <laughs> we're going to launch this church plant at Easter. What are we allowed to say about Easter to Quebec culture? And we did some thinking. We thought, well, Easter, it's about more than the bunny. Okay. We thought we can, we're, we should be allowed to say Easter is about more than the bunny. So somehow this became me dressing up in a bunny suit with a poster that said Easter is about more than the bunny help the Easter Bunny reopen this church. We're going to reopen it. Come and help us. The problem with this campaign is we had a film guy and we had our early church planning volunteers. 
we didn't realize the day we planned the filming was also the St. Patrick's Day parade going in front of the, the church, okay? <laughs> now, St. Patrick's Day parade in Montreal, it, there's a, there, very few Irish people actually are there. It's just a lot of people who love to party and they'll, they'll happily join the Irish, right? So our, our launch filming became mixed in with this marijuana smoking St. Patrick's Day parade. People going, people are hanging off the Easter Bunny with cans of beer in their hand. They're like, yeah, this is the best. You know, this church plant is... Anyways, that was our launch. That video got over 20,000 views. And that's how we ended up accidentally launching the church plant. So anything that's gone wrong since then, I would tie back to that moment. But, you know, what that ended up doing was putting out a beacon to say, hey, there's some guys here. And, of course, they could look on the links and find that we had these connections to, to Holy Trinity Brompton and, and what we were going to do. And before you know it, we had about 50 people who came. Many of them, let me say this. Uh, let, let's, let's be honest here. There are a lot of people in churches, whether they're mainline, evangelical, you, you name it, who are not quite comfortable in the church they're in, right? So sometimes we call this transfer growth. Other times we say, look, God is doing something new in the church. And there are a lot of churches have not figured out where they're going. So we ended up saying, we have no idea where we're going other than pointing to Jesus and if somebody said, are you the dodgy end of the Anglican church or the safe end of the Anglican church? Like, which one are you? We'd say, the definitely the dangerous end. We're not sure which end you think is dangerous, but it's definitely dangerous here. You should not come. If you're worried about a dangerous church, don't come to this one. Um, what are you guys actually going to do? We don't know. But the Lord's going to guide us. Where are you going to get the money from? We don't know. The Lord's going to provide. This is the kind of answers we gave to people, right? <laughs> it's not a very compelling vision. However, I've learned in the past that that's actually the best way to get the best church planters. And we got some amazing people, amazing musicians, uh, amazing evangelists, but the kind of relational evangelists that really make a difference. And uh, we began opening the church up. Now, uh, one of the interesting connections we made was with Montreal's uh, artistic community. And before you know it, we were approached by this group. It's a, a nonprofit called Le Monastère, okay? Translation being the monastery. But Le Monastère is a circus company. And this is a group of circus artists who had a vision to do circus in the old closed churches of Quebec. So they wanted to circus plant, okay? So now we get the church planters and the circus planters... <laughs> together in the same building of course they're saying we high ceilings we can hang our gear from makes for a really good place so now we're at the point where most people think of saint jack's more as a circus venue than a church and when they find out there's a church then then they find out we we actually have some people will crack up at this the headquarters for acts 29 led by dwight bernier uh, and dwight's church uh church 21 actually meet out of our building uh, we, we share that building. They're there with us. Cavalry Chapel. Many of you know Cavalry, the Cavalry Chapel movement. They've been with us. They share our building. So we actually have three churches and a circus company and a refugee charity and a conference business that runs out of there. We see about 100 different nonprofit organizations, church organizations, businesses that have used that space. And as a result, people, if they say, is this a conference venue? Is it a circus venue? Is it an evangelical church? Is it an Anglican church? Is it, it's the answer is yes to all of those things. And in a sense, I think we've actually disarmed 
some of the typical reasons people will not enter a church building, just simply through the diversity that we have in that place. And of course, it's also helped us financially because we, you know, we're able to improve the place, charge higher rents, everybody's able to do better. And uh, so there we have this kind of community hub plus multi-church environment. And uh, got to say, guys, I, I, I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm a believer that this is actually something of a picture of the, of the church for the future of the church in Canada. Graham, you've hit on some really, uh, I think, valuable insights into church planting. And, and I love what you said about, uh, you know, this is a dangerous church. The, the, uh, the people that are attracted to a church plant that really bring life to it often are people that are willing to take um, calculated risks for God. And uh, the, uh, I'm, I'm curious too, though, um, in the four church plants that you've done, you yes. mentioned uh, that uh, there were preceding uh, crises. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's, that's a different model than, than a lot of other church planters who are starting from scratch. You're starting with um, sometimes a, a remnant or uh, I, I've noticed uh, a, a church here in Windsor that uh, closed a few years ago, St. Andrew's Presbyterian. It was once uh, one of their Canadian flagship churches. And uh, over uh, its 200 and so year history, eventually it, it whittled down, the money ran out. And as I watched it in its last couple of years of life, uh, I saw in that case that there was some really good seed that was in that mm -hmm. church. The, there were people who were really good seed. And, um, you know, um, I've uh, continued a, a relationship with, with some of those people. Some of them, that church merged into another Presbyterian church. The building was sold to another church. But um, I thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective on uh, gathering the good seed when mm. one church is dying and uh, how that seed sometimes is scattered, but how it can be replanted into something new and fresh. Yeah. I love where you're going on that, Kevin, because you went straight from a community that's been a kind of broken uh, or bruised reed that becomes this fertile ground where that, you know, that's beautiful seed now can flourish. But then you went from that into individuals. And I think actually when I described the type of church planters who turn up, I think I don't think there's a church planter in Canada who doesn't recognize that, what I described, of people who turn up often. You know, there's no church, by the way, there is no church planting Canada, a no church planting team in Canada that I've ever heard of. And Brian, you jump in if you've heard anything. But, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this many times. There's no church plant that I've heard of in Canada that doesn't begin with a core of people who have been discipled in another church. So if we want to call that transfer growth, we can. And sometimes it, like, it's not like somebody stands out on a street corner, preaches the gospel to a bunch of people who've never heard about Jesus. They all give their lives to Christ, day of Pentecost style, and, and all of a sudden a new church happens. That, that did happen on the day of Pentecost. Um, we've seen moves of that kind in churches, but it's not. we haven't seen churches in Canada that started that way in our generation, okay? So let's imagine we've got people who've come from some other environment. Well, what is the crisis they're facing? Well, here's some examples. Somebody's family, you know, they, they, they marry and maybe they married young or they were ill-advised or things just happened or the enemy attacked and that marriage falls apart. Now, 
they've gone through divorce and they come into this church plant. So they look, they look great. They're talking. And then as you get beneath the surface, you realize there's an issue there, right? Somebody else struggling with their mental health, other people struggling with their finances. So to me, church planting teams work really well because of the vulnerability of those people. And as they get around and they think, we think the Lord's called us to plant a church, but we're also very broken people. And then they start opening the scriptures and they realize every single character in God's story was somebody who thought they could do it on their own. The Lord showed them their brokenness and out of their brokenness, he gave them power to do what he needed them to do. So to me, the, the awareness of one's own brokenness and God's power moving through that is an essential for a move of God, church planting in Canada, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, the, that seed actually a proud haughty heart is the one thing the lord finds the hardest to work with and i'm sure we're all guilty of that i mean here here we are talking about good stories of you know here are encouraging stories this team's well the chances of sounding proud and hot i mean it's very high which is why i think it's a very good moment to, you know I, we could just spend the rest of the time saying what are the things that wiped out that didn't work that we got bombed on you know that that kind of because those are the times i think where the lord has moved most powerfully and that is the most amazing invitation to a broken humanity when they think, is that what the church is about? Yeah. That's who Jesus went to. That's who he's calling out to right now. Graham, if, if I can, I, I just want to mine down a little bit into um, the transformation of a, a building. Uh, you're yeah. in St. Jack's, uh, is a beautiful space. Um, there, there are, you know, hundreds of such buildings, uh, across the country. Um, but, uh, you didn't go there and, and paint everything baby blue and, and, uh, make it something gaudy. You were able to maintain the aesthetics but also remove barriers to functionality and make yeah. it a very flexible but beautiful space. And, and I just want to maybe just uh, ask you a little bit about that process. So were you, yeah. uh, were you the guy that was uh, involved in, in that process? And, and uh, what were some of the steps uh, to maintaining its integrity? Uh, yes. But but actually modernizing it in ways that, that uh, uh, also made it a, I think, I think good architecture creates a dream space, right? Yeah, this is a beautiful thing to get into. So, I mean, just to root everybody, you know, think about, I think, I think back to Solomon's temple, Solomon had a, 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 a he had a foreman called Bezaliel and Bezaliel had, had thousands of temple artists and craftspeople, stonemasons, and those are not Freemasons, by the way. Don't get too uh, freaked out. Uh, and uh, But, you know, these people working with stone, with wood, uh, with different materials, these were skilled craftspeople. Well, guess what? We have all those skilled craftspeople, but we don't often spiritualize their work in most denominations in Canada. There is one denomination in Canada, I think, where they do this very well in CRC. Uh, they've, they've got some incredible craftspeople there, and they know it. The Mennonites as well. I mean, they are incredible builders, and they celebrate that within their expression of their Christian faith. I'm not suggesting we don't in other traditions, but if you see what I mean, there, there have been times and seasons where we celebrate those people. So I, I, I celebrate those people, and I'll tell you a kind of fun thing. 
Um, I'm, I think this year, I'm hoping I'm going to become one of the first, uh, I think I will be the first person in Canada to be an ordained minister and also hold credentials as um, in the Canadian Association of Heritage Professionals. Uh, and that's ma mainly engineers and architects who hold that. But I've been doing this for a long time. And there are questions to be asked. And, I, and let me say this. When we talk about heritage preservation, and then we talk about decolonization, we got to be really careful. Because sometimes the only heritage we're preserving is the same colonial heritage that we are complaining about, right? And what is that heritage? Well, 500 years ago, Martin Luther puts up his 99 theses on the wall. We begin the Reformation. Uh, evangelical churches begin splitting away from the Catholic Church. And you have the magisterial and the, and the Reformed and the radical Reformations. Uh, these now begin. Eventually, there are folks who say, look, Europe is, Europe is really troublesome. Let's just find ourselves a new continent. And they begin part of that colonizing movement over here and to other parts of the world. And the splits in denominations become even more extreme. So our, the number of splits we have in North America in denominations far more extreme than any other place in the world. Far worse than Africa, than Asia, than South America, and definitely far worse than Europe, right? At least in Europe, you still have the main kind of mother denominations are still there. Whereas here you find, you can go to a small town in the US of 30,000 people and find there are 20 churches on the main street. Like this is not, you know, you could go to the East coast of Canada and find there, you know, two or three Presbyterian churches in the same town. Why are they there? Did they plant and need more space or do they just disagree with each other? So when we talk about heritage preservation, we gotta be really careful and responsible for the overbuilding of some of these churches, which was actually competitive overbuilding based on religious difference that we built in Canada, okay? So you take a typical street corner in Canada, you got Anglican, United, Presbyterian, Catholic, all in the same street corner. Well, are we gonna keep all of those buildings? It's unlikely we're gonna do that. So first of all, we've gotta decide how do we deal with heritage preservation and what are we gonna do about it? Second, let's be very practical. What kind of space do we need to run a good church? Well, whatever space we thought we needed, it's less than it was before as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Everybody is using less square footage. So cities are becoming more dense. We're realizing the problem of suburbs. Suburbs are generally, you know, if we wanted to solve Canada's housing crisis, you know, there's one thing we could do right now. We could put accessory apartments in suburban detached middle-class homes, right? Your typical 2,000 to 3,000 square foot home, it's got a basement with a pool table in it. Take out the pool table, put in an apartment with a side entrance. We've solved Canada's housing crisis. We don't need to demolish buildings and, you know, uh, there are issues like that. So now suburbs are problematic. We want to get back into the cities. How are we going to deal with that property? So if you see where I'm going on here, what do we need to do? How do we craft a city? I was just on leading a conference for Canadian Urban Institute uh, this week on this subject. And you get into the crafting of cities. Now, we just talked about Bazaliel. Let's talk about Nehemiah right? Nehemiah was not there to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah was there to build a trade route for the Persian king who funded his operation, right? As a non-God's people funding, right? So he got some heathen funding in a sense to go and rebuild his city. So sure, Nehemiah is in tears and say, I want to build the city of my people. The king is thinking, I need Jerusalem back in action. Otherwise, the rest of my business empire doesn't work. And as soon as Nehemiah gets there, he begins rebuilding the city walls. Right? The city walls, the gates, where transactions happen, where contracts happen. So to me, Kevin, going back to how do we reform these buildings is about their purpose, their meaning, their history. 
And now we find a new purpose. And if we do that in conjunction with other leaders in the city, we begin gathering many of those people who've actually left the church because they've told us, you people don't understand what God is doing. They've told us, I'm not leaving the church because I'm less Christian. I'm leaving the church because you church don't understand what God's doing. That's, that's, a, that's a hard thing for us to hear, right? But I think many of our listeners today will realize there's some, there's some truth in what I'm saying here. So if you start building a building by saying, I want to make my church bigger or better, therefore I'm going to do this in my building. Well, you've just missed everything I just said, <laughs> right? Uh, we went to one church with Trinity Center's Foundation, which is the, as, as we talked about the charity that I lead, and we'll talk more about it. And uh, the church said, well, can you help us rebuild our building? Because we want to build the church. And we said, no, we, the only thing we can do is help you listen to the city. And once you're done listening to the city, we're going to help you ask the mayor what you can do to serve his city. And when you listen to that, now you'll get your marching orders of what to do with your building. And if you listen to what that municipal council has to say to you, you will gain more favor with the king, right? That will be the tears in your eyes that will win that, that favor. And I think some of our best church planters in Canada are doing that and best churches in Canada are doing that already. Uh, so how do we do that? Now we get into the building itself. There's an easy one here with traditional churches is take out the pews. That, that we, we call this the, the first stage of any building we touch is pews out, lights in. Okay, but once you get the pews out, you can, you now begin, you can change that space from what we call instructional worship to participative worship. What is instructional worship? Okay, everybody sits in their seat. The person at the front stands up, they have authority to speak. They begin speaking from the Bible, which they have, everybody has agreed, has authority. And when you're told to stand up and sit down or go out and, you know, be, be missionaries in the world or whatever it is you're told to do, you do it, right? You've been instructed. Well, this goes against everything we know about hipsters, <laughs> right? They don't care about the person standing up in the front. In fact, they're suspicious of them. The, the, you're holding out a book of authority? No, I, uh, they, they need to have that authority. That, that needs to be, we need to go back a few steps. You want to tell them where to sit, how to sit, and when to stand up, what to do and go out, forget it. The minute you put them into a participative environment, and I'm just talking as simple as put them in round circles, talking to each other offer the scripture and say, here's, you know, this is, I think Andy Stanley does a great job of this. So paint a picture of a problem the world has and why that problem is so bad. And now show how the scripture is the only answer to that problem. Right. And, and, and you know, Andy Stanley does this, I think in a beautiful way. So by taking out the pews, you allow that to happen. The other thing you do is you do what I call partial temporary deconsecration. Okay. So if you're, if you're a, Let's talk. Let's imagine there's some Pentecostals amongst us here today, okay? And there's some people listening in from that environment. You want to consecrate a space? You have a prayer team in that space before the worship team plugs in their first DI box. That prayer team will be in there at six o'clock in the morning, praying through, closing off any strongholds the enemy has opened up there, breaking through them in Jesus' name, praying for a beautiful space to prepare for the worship of the Lord. Am I right? You know what I'm talking about, yep. right? These are the saints who are there preparing that space. In a Catholic church, you better have put the right stained glass on those windows to know that it's a sacred space. And you better have some statues up that point to all the saints. And that's how they will express sacred space. Now, you want to bring a refugee charity in that building. What can you do to partially, temporarily deconsecrate that space 
to allow them to feel safe. A typical example is put up a put up a kind of black curtain behind some tables on the front of a church so that they're not looking at an altar table, right? And you could have a municipal council in there. They'll feel as though that space has been partially, temporarily deconsecrated. Now, has it really been deconsecrated? Is God less powerful because you put up a black screen so that they didn't lo- have to look at the cross, right? Of course not. And one of our most hilarious things with artists, I found with artists are less likely to want you to put those screens up or to try to say that the space is not as sacred looking because they actually want that look. And we have the circus company. It's incredible how many of their best photographs have the cross in their best image. And we think we we thought it was Quebec. We weren't supposed to use the cross and, and you guys are the cool hipster people. You want these pictures in your, so anyways, taking the risk on this, on deconsecration is another big one. And when it comes to building changes, uh, that's been inspiring for us. So look, there's a long answer to say, it's really about how the space is gonna operate in its city. How is that building going to become part of the healed and restored city gates? And now let's do the construction and making sure you've got the skilled people to be able to push back on some of those heritage people, architectural experts, I'm gonna say experts in air quotes because some of them have no idea what they're doing. And some of the municipal leaders who you need to push some of those guys and explain to them, look, this space needs to serve its community. That's our primary use. In the case of a non-heritage building, of course, is a completely different set of questions. Sidewalk Skyline podcast is all about God at work in Canadian cities. If you've enjoyed this interview and would like to hear more, especially if you'd like to hear part two uh, of this uh, interview with Graham Seng, Uh, please uh, go and subscribe uh, on your podcast platform. Uh, We also post on uh, YouTube. If you search for Kevin Rogers Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, you'll find many of our episodes uh, there. So um, please come back and we're going to talk more with uh, Brian and uh, Graham. And uh, we're going to be talking about sacred spaces in the profane city. And uh, what is a sacred space? Well, we're gonna talk about that. So come on back for our next episode of Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers.